Good morning. When Jesus started his Sermon on the Mount, he had several pithy sayings that are called today Beatitudes. And here's one of them that I think is appropriate for today's sermon text and our meditation. It goes like this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness because they will be filled. Jesus was calling us with that, that little beatitude to make that a keen desire in our life that we long to be right with God. And it is the crux of the matter on our part why we come to church, why we gather, why we have a devotion, why we read the Word, why we think about anything at all, biblical or spiritual. The Apostle Paul was one of the missionaries, followers of Jesus, a man who was sent, that's what an apostle is, in his name to start churches and to nurture and maintain churches as long as he would live. He worked in the Mediterranean Sea area on the north side of the Mediterranean Sea, and he, he took at least three missionary journeys, and one of the places that he stopped was in Greece in a city called Corinth, which was a port city. We're going to look at his, some words from his letter today from chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. There should be three pictures there on the slide and it says, which one should be more careful? On the left, you see an airline pilot, right? Should an airline pilot be more careful than these three? In the middle, a brain surgeon, and on the right, a school bus driver. Which one should be more careful? It's really a bad question, isn't it? <laughs> Did you have one in mind? I think all of them, right? Uh, you put your precious baby on a bus, you want to make sure they're safe. Uh, there, we t we've heard about recently there was a, a bus accident in, in Athens, Texas, where the bus driver didn't hear or see a train, and uh, one of the children on the bus was killed by that train. So all three of them, it's a bad question, all three of them better be very careful, right? Which of these three should be more careful in their spiritual walk with God? A pastor, the guy on the left? A young Christian, the girl in the middle, see she's praying, or an elderly saint who's only got a few years left. Which one should be more careful in their walk with God? It's really a bad question, right? But the reason I ask it is we tend to think at certain times in our life that maybe we don't have to be so careful, right? We might think, little grandma, there's just no way she could fall into sin and lose her faith or her salvation. I oh, don't be so sure. Everyone needs to be very careful. And that's what Paul is teaching us, and he's going to teach us more detail about that. He is, uh, he's raising up our attitude about spiritual connection to God and walking with God in our Christian life in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So go to the next slide. Who are these people? There's a picture of modern-day Corinth looking out to the sea. It was a port city. It is a port city in, in, in Greece. I've never been there, but who here has traveled the steps of Paul or whatever, and you've been to Greece and seen it? Okay. This was a place, it is a place that was, back then was bustling, and Paul went there to start a church. And he, and he spread the gospel, started at a synagogue, then he moved to a lecture hall, and he stayed about 18 months, and then he kept his connection with them through Facebook. No, he didn't. I'm just teasing. It was, 
It was worse than snail mail. It was slow. You, had, you sent somebody with a hand, your friend, with a hand, to hand deliver a letter. But everybody stayed in touch like, as groups in ways like that. And the Apostle Paul stayed in touch with them. And they revered him as their leader and spiritual leader. There were a lot of speakers, a lot of spiritual speakers, a lot of philosophers. And in cities in Greece, the, there were a lot of those things going on. And so a lot of times, the words of Paul... And when they were first given, even in print, were like uh, one voice among many. And you can, as you read the two letters to the Corinthians, you can kind of get a flavor for how Paul's fighting to make sure they'll understand that he's speaking the very words of God inspired by God. But we're, we're past that, right? They're in our Bible. We recognize them as God's inspired word for our meditation. But it's good to have that background. Corinth as a port city was a lot like Austin. Just about every big city in America is a port city because of planes, right? You can't really say it's just the big cities on the coast. But it was, it was cosmopolitan. It, was, it had the, the greatest and the best of everything of their day. And there were a whole lot of different philosophies, just like there are in a big college town like Austin or Madison, Wisconsin. And so there was a lot of immorality and a lot of partying and, uh, and you could have access to whatever opiates or drugs of the day that they had. And there was a lot of promiscuity. And there was a lot of weirdness. They would say, keep Corinth weird. And they put it on a bumper sticker if they could have. They were proud of that. that so we're, we're living in a, in, a, in a city, in a nation, in a world a lot like the Corinthians. And I'll tell you, as a pastor of people, boy, do we struggle with the same things that the Corinthians did, all of us. Because we have access with our, it used to be just, we, we, we preachers would get up and talk about the television set. But that's like old stuff, right? Old news. It's our phone, not even the laptop. But our phone gets us immediately. Some of you could even, while you're listening to me preach, you could be off somewhere watching some little video somehow that's got something weird going on. Now you're tempted. You're reaching for your phone Paul said, I want to talk to you about living carefully because God is serious. The God who loves you, the God who saved you, the God who sent his son and laid all your sins on him, he's serious about you having a walk with him that is careful and loving and showing and reflecting your love back to him. So there's three paragraphs and they're nicely developed. They're not as hard to preach because they really flow easily. Uh, let's look at the first paragraph. Okay, Paul says, "For I, I want you to. I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our ancestors were all under the cloud, and that they all passed through the sea." Okay, wait a minute. I'm talking to you about a guy who lived two thousand years ago that wrote a letter. He's talking about a group of people that lived 1,500 years before him. So we're kind of skipping, right? I'm skipping back to the apostle, and he's skipping back to Moses' day. So he says, remember when Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt? They all passed through the Red Sea. It was miraculous. They all got saved by God. And then the, remember what happened? The waters flooded and killed all the Egyptians and the Egyptian army after them. It was amazing. They all got the blessing of deliverance. That's his point. And the cloud was the presence of God that was over them. He says, now they were all, now he's going to use Christian's talk about Old Testament stories because he's a preacher and we take license 
creative poetic license. And he says, they were all baptized into Moses in the cloud. It was the cloud was the presence of God. And they were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink that we think of baptism and the Lord's Supper. We're having it today. So did they. So he's saying, and, and, and this is chapter 10, and before chapter 10 is over, he's going to start talking about the Lord's Supper, and he's going to talk about it in chapter 11 too. So what he's doing is he's saying, he's using the experience of the, the Israelites as, in metaphoric language to talk to them about their own life. And he goes, they all got God's grace in his form back then. So the food they ate, remember the, the food they ate back then that was from God? What was it? Manna. Which, which in Hebrew means, what's it? <laughs> what is it? God put it out there every morning. They all ate the manna. They all passed through the sea. They all ate the manna. They all got water from rocks. Remember, Moses would speak to a rock. One time he hit the rock. They all, they were supposed to speak to the rock, and he hit it both times. So they all got water from the rock. He said they all did that. But here's the, here's the punchline of the first paragraph. They all did all those things, and they drank from the rock that was Christ that followed them. And then he says, nevertheless, God was not pleased with them. And look at this sentence. Their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. If you know anything at all, and you might not, about the stories that are there in the books that followed Exodus, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, there are several, and he's gonna, the next paragraph he's going to tell you about four of them, there's several instances, there's more than four, where they got naughty and God spanked them. But spanking sounds so corporal, right, today, we don't even talk about it, but I'm talking about death. He put them to, many of them to death because of the sins that they, they committed against him, even though they all had experienced his grace and goodness. So I'm going to stop right there. I'm going to, I'm going to let, read that paragraph in a minute, but I want to say this. What Paul is telling us is that faith is not just believing that God is there and that God is good. That is faith, but it's, a, it's not a saving faith. Just to believe God is there and God blessed us and he's good is not saving faith. Saving faith is believing I am, I, when God tells me this, I believe what he says. I mean, I'm not making this up. He's telling us. Uh, every one of us, so I'm representing you, every, I am a lost and condemned creature by nature. And yet God put it all on his son and he forgave me. God loves me and he forgave me all my sins. Faith is loving, it's revealed in loving God for loving you and His Son, Jesus Christ. When you love someone, you try to please them. You're a sinner, so you don't do it perfectly. That's not, we're not talking about a perfect track record. But you have an attitude when you love someone that you want to make them happy. When you know God redeemed you, you love Him and you want to make Him happy. And God watched all those people that he saved through the Red Sea, gave them all manna every day, and tons of them did not want to make God happy. They just thought, hey, it's really cool that God put us on his team. It's kind of like rooting for your favorite team, the, the Longhorns or the Aggies. They're great. They win games for me. They make me feel good. That's not saving faith. Saving faith is I personally sinned against God 
in my lifetime, and yet he put it all on his son, and he, and he forgives me, and he loves me, and I want to make him happy. You see the difference? If you'll not, I'll stop preaching this point. You see the difference? Okay. It's not just believing he's there. Paul t- or James one time said, the demons believe that God is there, and they tremble. So now he tells some stories. He's, he's reviewing, really, the book of Numbers has a bunch of these stories. Let's read that next paragraph, or I'll look at it here with you. Now these things occurred, he's going to tell you what they are, to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. So now he's going to mention four. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat, and then they rose up to play and indulge in revelry. We should not be like them. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. Oop, I'm going to stop. Verse 7 is telling you about the golden calf incident, right? Moses is up on the mountain. They make a golden calf. They say, this is Yahweh. This is the Jehovah that saved us. And then they had these huge parties, which included everything that huge parties have today. And he goes, don't be like that. Verse 8. We should not commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And one day, 23,000 of them died. That's at the other end of 40 years. And they were passing through Moab. And Balaam was the prophet that Balak was trying to get to curse him. And he wouldn't do it. So Balaam said, I'll tell you what you do. God's not going to let me curse him. But why don't you just, I'll tell you how you can bring him down. Get all of your women to run around in their camp and, and ask the men to go to sleep with them. And, and you can kind of just lure them into sinning against God. And then God will get them. That's exactly what happened. 23,000 people struck down by the Lord for becoming immoral and practicing these promiscuity outside of their marriages. Paul says, don't do that. Remember, the Corinthians had these issues because they were in a very permissive society. Number, verse 9, we should not test Christ as some of them did, and they were killed by snakes. What's that about? They complained. You know what they said? I mean, 40 years of eating manna. I know you guys complain if you have spaghetti three nights in a row. 40 years of eating manna. And they said, we're sick of this detestable food. And God goes, you ain't seen nothing yet. You're sick of something. And the snakes just entered the camp. And they started biting people. And people were dying. That's when he told Moses to erect the golden, the bronze, I mean, snake. If they looked at it, they would be healed. These are are notorious stories that the Corinthians would, when he touches on them like he does, they would think of them. And their sin was ingratitude. See, if the first sin was partying uh, indiscriminately, the second one was, and it had idolatry involved, so idolatry. Promiscuity was the second one. Grumbling is the third one. And then, and do not grumble as some of them did, and they were killed by the destroying angel. This is a reference to what the vicar read. When the ground opened up, swallowed down 250 people that were grumbling about the authority that God had set above them. I don't like my parents. I don't like my pastor. I don't like my police officer. I don't like my governor. I don't like my president. Paul said, be careful. Be careful about other sins too, but the the four he lists, idolatry, promiscuity, ingratitude and resenting authority these are the marks of not believing these are the sins that people can fall into and they're and you want to show god that you're that you want to make him happy because he made you happy by saving you by blessing you by being your god creator savior redeemer everything then 
Think of these. Don't practice idolatry in your life. Don't be promiscuous. Don't be a grumbler. And don't resent authority. And then any other sin that you might be struggling with. That's what Paul is saying. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's clear. And it's powerful. So, real quickly. We are tempted in the church and especially in our kind of church, in the Lutheran faith, to believe that grace is a license to live however you want. I mean, God is so forgiving. He's so gracious. He put it all on His Son. If you come back, He's going to welcome you with open arms and love you. So it's a license to just do whatever you want without wanting to do what makes God happy. That is a lie from hell. That came from the devil. That you can just sin all you want because God is so gracious. And that's what Paul, the apostle, is talking about today. He's calling out that sin, that attitude, that grace is license. Grace actually creates love in your heart for God and makes you want to love Him back. So what's happened is, if we are starting to be lackadaisical about sin in our own personal life, we have fallen from grace. God doesn't want that to happen. He loves us too much. So he calls us to repentance about an attitude. See, this isn't about the track record. It's not about idolatry is bigger than promiscuity or promiscuity is bigger than grumbling or grumbling is smaller than resenting authority. This is about attitude. Is it an attitude of faith and love toward God or not? If you do have an attitude of faith and love toward God, you are keenly ready for the next paragraph from Paul. You're ready because you want to please God. Do you remember how I started? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness comes when you repent and you get Christ's righteousness as a gift that leads you in a life of wanting to do good. Not because you think that will make you righteous, but because you already are righteous. You have a right attitude. And so you just want to do good. Those who hunger and thirst to really be getting it right that way. Here comes the paragraph. All right? These things that I told you about happened as examples and were written down as warnings for us. I would, I would like for you to read this next line with me out loud. It's just a few words to the end of verse 11. On whom the culmination of the ages has come. Stop right there. This is, this is fascinating. The Apostle Paul views everyone who lives in the, on, on this side of Christ's cross. People were born and died and lived and died before Christ came. But we are the people that lived after he came. He says we are the people on whom the culmination of the ages has happened to. We have got more blessings than passing through the Red Sea and having manna every day. and We have all the blessings of Christ. We have all the blessings of modern world. We have all the blessings of the New Testament and the grace of Christ and the wisdom of God that comes after Christ has come to the earth. We are living in the culmination of the ages. Now, here's what he said. All those stories were written down and preserved and put in a book. So we could learn to walk with God in the culmination of the ages. 
Get that? It's a special time in which we live. And we, got, we didn't ask to be born during this time, but we get to live here. Verse 12. Here's, this verse is the pivotal verse of the entire section 1 to 13. This is the main point that he's making. So, if you think you're standing, be careful lest you fall. That's why I made the theme of the sermon, be careful how you live. If you think you stand, be careful lest you fall. Don't stop being vigilant and paying attention. When can a tightrope walker stop being careful? When they're not on the tightrope anymore. When do you get to stop being careful? When you step off the tightrope into heaven. Until then, you and I must live vigilantly, all of us, at all times. There are many sins. One of them is self-righteousness. I'll, I'm going to give you an example. This one's hard to share because I, it's, so, it, it's a, such a compassionate moment. When I was a vicar, and I know there's a long time ago, John, my, my bishop said, you go to the hospital, see this lady. I know you don't know her. You're only here for a year. Um, she's very sick with cancer. I'm going to be out of town. Go and see her and give her a devotion because she's only got hours, maybe, maybe days, maybe hours to live. So I went to see her, never met her before. She'd been a member of our church for that church for many years. And I took a little pamphlet with me that helps you share the gospel called God's Great Exchange. And I, I don't remember her name, but her, we'll just say her name was, was Betty. And I said, Betty, uh, I'm, I'm Vicar Patterson, and I'm here to share God's word with you. And, and she said, oh, I'm glad you came. And I said, I, ju- I just want... It, the, What's the doctor saying? She said, the doctor says that it's not going to be very long. How do you feel? I feel awful, terrible. I'm, ready. I'm just ready to go to heaven. And I said, oh, that's, that's wonderful that you're thinking about heaven. And, and Jesus, what a great segue for a vicar to get into a devotion, right? So I said, I said um, when, you, when, you, when this life comes to the end and you stand before God and you say, if he were to say to you, why should I let you into heaven? What will you say? She said, anybody who suffered like I have, deserves to go there. I'm thinking, oh my goodness. I know she's got faith in there somewhere, right? She's heard the gospel, believed the gospel, been part of a Christian church, but that was not a statement based on faith in Christ, right? So shared with her God's great exchange. It's a little pamphlet, got a little stick figure. Some of you have seen it. Jesus all took all your sins away, gave you all of his righteousness, Held it up in front of her face. She's laying flat in the bed, can't get up. And I said, what do you think about that? It says that he, all your sins are taken away. You're complete. Tears streaming down her cheek. She said, I've never heard it explained that way before. I don't believe that. I believe it's been explained to that way a lot. But what's happened in her life? Life got so full of before the illness, right? All the stuff in the surface of our religion. And then the sickness. And then all the suffering and all the being separated from that beautiful gospel in her thinking, that she fell back into what we all fall back into. I'm just trying really hard, and I think God sees that, and because I've got good intentions, I'm going to be saved because I'm good. It's not, she was no longer connected to the beautiful gospel. The reason I told you that story was not really about the details, it's about the punchline. She was almost at eternity's door And the devil was trying to kick her off the tracks. Be careful how you live. 
be careful to be found in the faith in a God who saves you through his son Jesus Christ and be wanting, walking with him and from that wanting to please him with your life. Real quickly, these stories, these stories about Israel that Paul shares. He says they're examples so we learn how to walk. If you grew up in a family with other siblings, and in particular, if you grew up as one of the younger siblings, you learn from watching your older siblings and their mistakes and how their parents reacted or somebody else, right? See, I'm number five out of six. What a great lesson, right? I didn't mean I always <laughs> paid attention because I made some of the same mistakes. But man, did I learn a lot just by watching consequences to my older siblings' decisions that they made. The reason Paul shares the examples is he goes, look, those people did that out there. What did God do? He brought down his justice. God is a gracious God. He's a just God and he's a sovereign God. Don't mess around with him. Don't play with his heart. Be serious and faithful and careful how you live. What are you trying to do, preacher? Put the fear of God in us? Yes! The fear of God is a beautiful virtue. Not phobia, but love and respect. Three summary thoughts from today's text. God is faithful to help you overcome temptation. I left off some stuff that i got to share here. Look at verse 13. This is so important. It's not, it's, I just got to go back. Verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you're tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We've, we've quoted this passage a lot, and most of the time we kind of misquote it. Usually it's because there's problems in our life. Maybe there are problems that other people are causing. Maybe it's a loss of a job or, or health problems. Maybe it's a car problem, whatever, big problems, right? And we'll say, God won't give you more than you can handle. Well, that's for another sermon another day, the, how clear that thought really is. But that's not really this verse. This verse is God is faithful not to leave you vulnerable to temptation without giving you a way of escape. This is about temptation to sin, not just about general problems. And we quote it about problems. So he says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. You cannot say, and you don't want to say, the devil made me do it. Because God is faithful, and he won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Let's just briefly talk about ways that God helps us as a way of escape from temptation. Okay? First of all, He teaches you, as you have fallen to temptation and learned, not to go there anymore. Right? If there's neighborhoods, I mean, you'll hear this about drug abuse. Uh, someone said, I was saying to someone, so-and-so is moving to Colleen. Oh, don't move there. There's a lot of drug pushers there in Colleen, right? You don't, you don't go where the drug pushers are. I know some nice neighborhoods in Colleen, right? There's some neighborhoods in Austin you don't travel to because it's dangerous there, right? You might go there to love somebody, to serve somebody, and help somebody, but you're not going there just to 
go there and hang out. Well, it's that, that's a metaphor for life in temptation. God teaches you, you don't have to live. You can avoid the pitfalls by beginning away from them. Another thing he does is he keeps you so busy with the do's, you don't have time to do the don'ts. He leads you in a life of blessing and serving others. And while you're serving them, you are now moving yourself away from the old patterns of thinking that were always your nemesis for temptation. Okay? Some other things he does. He gives you the support of other people. Maybe it's people and family and friends in church, but it might be an organized support group, like our recovery group that we have. That you recognize that out there in our community, there's all kinds of support groups that you can go to that will help you talk through your triggers for your sins, for your temptations. That's something that's a gift from God. Here's another one. He'll just remove the test, remove the temptation. You pray, God, take the temptation away. And often that's just what he does. He removes it. He gives you someone that will warn you. Do you remember when David, what's David's most famous sin? David and Bathsheba, right? Bathsheba, he saw her. She was bathing. He lusted after her. And he sent for her. And in the story, one of his servants says this. He's sending for her. Isn't that Uriah's wife? That was God saying to David, don't do that. And you have those little warnings all the time, right? You're driving down the road. Maybe it doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me. Your wife says, it's 35. Speed limit is 35 here. Right? God warns you, right? That's a a picture of other things that we say to each other. He gives you a warning because he's helping you have a way of escape. And then, one of the biggest, all time, Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, how did he deal with the devil? What was his way of escape? He didn't get out of his situation. He got out of the thinking the devil was trying to put in his mind. Did you hear what I just said? Avoiding temptation with God's help is not getting out of the situation always. It's getting out of the thinking that you've got in your mind. And what what got Jesus out of the thinking the devil was trying to put in his head? Scripture. The Bible. As you learn the Bible and you learn Bible truth, you don't have to know the chapter and verse, but you know the thought. Those, that verse, when you quote it in the situation, puts water on the fire of lust. It puts out the fires of bitterness and anger. It, it sweetens the pot of a bitter heart, the Word of God. But if you don't know the Word of God and you're not growing in the Word of God, then it's harder. So avoiding temptation, God will always provide a way of escape so that you may bear up under the temptation and get away from it. He's always faithful. But today, the big point is verse 12. If you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. I'm, I'm, I'm pushing hard to get you to be careful. Think about being careful. Do not slot through life. Be careful about the way you live because it's between you and God and you're, you love Him and, and you want to make Him happy. And he's serious. Now I go back to my three summary parts. He will not tolerate you not fighting temptation. I didn't say perfect track record. I said he won't tolerate you just slopping through and not fighting it. You know what he'll do? He'll mess in your nest and mess up your life to make you come back to him. That's what the whole story about Israel is about. He will not tolerate you not fighting temptation. And there's not one of us as refined as we might be that doesn't need to learn to fight temptation. Secondly, he always provides a way to overcome the temptation. Work until you find it. Stay in it as much as when you do find it as much as you can. Third, 
Your attitude is more important than your track record. It's not about perfection looking back. It's about your attitude about it right now. That's why everybody is just as loved and by God, and He wants every person here to be just as vigilant going forward because there's not, there's not one person that He's rejected. Look how He went back after Paul, I mean after Peter, after all the other apostles. And Peter denied Him three times. He never cuts you off. He comes back and gets you. So your attitude is more important than your track record. And now go to the next slide. If you want to fight the good fight, there's three things I recommend. Identify what your weaknesses are. I'm not going to sit up here and try to list them off. The biggest ones you know about, identify what they are. Get the help you need. Get it. I mentioned different ways that you can get help. And then live in the power of grace. Here's the power of grace. I'm forgiven for when I'm failed, so I'm not going to sit around in guilt and shame. I have met two or three people that were trashing their lives because they said, I've already messed up so much, God's just kind of done with me. I'm kind of done with me. My parents are done with me. My family's done with me. I'm just going to trash my life. No. You live in the power of grace. Grace purifies you. Clean. You're one with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Go to the next. It's never too late to do the right thing. Why do you think I put up this picture up there? It's not about the guy in the middle. It's about that thief that was next to him. Right? He couldn't go back and make restitution for anything he had done. There wasn't a person. He couldn't save his reputation. It was bad. Couldn't save his life. It was over. But he had a few moments left, right? It's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to say, God, I'm sorry, I love you, and I want to please you. And this is what he says, don't you fear God? Remember I said the fear of God? We're facing what our deeds deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. So right now, between you and God, purpose in your heart, that it's not too late. You're forgiven of your sins, but it's not too late to fight the good fight of faith, love, and to live a life that glorifies God the best you know how. Whatever those beasts of temptation that you have, deal with them. God is happy that your attitude is right. He'll walk with you, and you'll have some miraculous breakthroughs that, that maybe only you and God know about, but you'll live free. He would not have given you this word from Paul or this word from me if he did not intend to change your life with it. Amen.